there are huge winds and big ships, but a little rudder determines where it goes. And James says that our tongue is like a rudder that determines the course of our life as well. And we've talked about how, uh, how our thoughts, it starts with our thoughts and then our words. Two weeks ago we talked about replacing our thoughts with God's thoughts and having God's spirit renew us from the inside out to change us from the inside out and direct the course of our, course of our thought life. And then last week, our friend, Pastor Dave Diefendorf from City Life Church in Kansas City was here and talked about our, our proclamation, our confession, what we speak to ourselves and to others, how when we line up our words with God's words, it brings life and changes our life and the environment around us. And I actually feel like all of this is so important. We could, go, we could do a rest of the year talking about our tongues and the power of encouragement and blessing other people and all sorts of things. But today... I feel like this is maybe the most important thing we could, we could do with our mouths, with our words. We're talking about confident prayer. We're talking about how God invites us to come into his presence and use our tongues to approach him and pray prayers that not only change our life, but change the course of history as well. And prayer is one of those things, like everybody prays. This is a, if next time you're talking to a friend of yours who's an atheist, this is a really good question to ask them. And not, not in an, an obnoxious way, but in a just genuine way. Ask them, hey, do you ever pray? And they'll, most likely, this is what happens with me, my atheist friends give me a kind of sheepish smile. And they go, yeah, I pray. Yeah, I, I find myself praying to the God I don't believe in. Quite a bit, actually. Because there's, we're wired, we're made by God as spiritual beings to connect with God and to commune with Him and to communicate with Him. And we, are drawn, we, we find ourselves doing that. But at the same time, prayer can be really hard. Right? Like I, I feel like for me, in my life, prayer is one of the toughest things to, to really do in a consistent way and feel confident about my prayer life. Anyone else feel like that? Yeah, it's, it's like, oh man, I've can feel like, are my prayers getting anywhere? Is God hearing? Or I feel like, oh, am I in a good place with God? Do I really have a right to talk to Him? Is there something going on where I don't really have a right to talk to Him? Or just all the all this stuff. And then there's the, oh, I don't feel like I'm praying enough sort of condemnation. Like all these, all these mental games come in the way to make confident prayer really tough. But prayer is, is so important. And God invites us. In fact, everything that He wants to do in the world, there are two parts. They're nearly everything, not everything, but close. Uh, there's God's will, and there's people who believe what he wants to do and pray it into existence. John Wesley said this. He said that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Well, that's a big statement. And John Wesley's a man who, who God used to, to mobilize thousands and millions of people to follow Christ. But he said this, the secret of, of, of my ministry is that I understand God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. So a lot of times we're like, man, God, why aren't you doing this? And he's like, hey, I'm ready, but who are the people praying some believing prayers out there? Because that's what it takes to come together and bring it about. So, man, but I, it's, it can be a struggle. And I, I feel like this message is so important. In fact, I'm just going to let you in a little bit on my, my last week. This was a really tough message for me to prepare. I, there, I don't know what it was, but all throughout the week, I was, I was having, it was just tough to bring things together. And this morning, it just hit me like, I think 
The reason that happened was because this is really important. That there's, a lot of times we have this idea that, oh, if it's God's will, it's going to be easy. But a lot of times, the way I figure out if it's God's will is if there's resistance. That's, that's how I oftentimes know what, where, what is important. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, where the closer you get to you know, the Ring of Fire, or whatever it's called, man, there's, there's all the orcs and resistance. They're all coming out to stop you from throwing that ring in. And, man, that's a lot of times how it is. And I believe what we're touching this morning is so important. It's God wanting us to approach him with confident prayer and, and pray prayers that, that change things. So, maybe we should just pray. <laughs> Ask God to help us. Let's do that. God, thank you that you are, you are near. Thank you that you invite us to, to draw near to you and to join you with our words in seeing your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would you come? Would you... Would you make my words your words this morning? Would you, would you help each of us to come to a place of, of growing in confident prayer? We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 33. Kind of our, our main starting verse this morning. Jeremiah was a prophet who lived in the Old Testament. And he was commissioned by God to prophesy or to preach to the people of Israel who were, for the most part, not being faithful to God. And he was given a ministry of calling them to faithfulness and repenting from their sins, to turn to him and to follow him. And this went on for year after year after year, and the people were, for the most part, not responding. And he was bringing God's message to say, hey, if you don't turn, there's going to be judgment coming. There's going to be discipline. God doesn't... God... It's not his heart, but there are consequences for disobedience. And this went on year after year after year. And as you can imagine, Jeremiah was not a very popular individual with a lot of people in Israel, the powers that be. And he ended up getting thrown into prison a couple times. And so we pick it up, we pick it up here in Jeremiah 33, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. And that was the place where he was, he was imprisoned. He was in jail. And some of you may feel like that this morning. You're like, man, I've been like trying to follow God. I've been trying to do this thing. But it just doesn't seem to be working out the way I thought it was going to be. Like the person who preached the gospel told, to me told me that God was going to bring freedom and happiness and joy and peace. And God, I haven't even experienced some of that. But I'm not really feeling the circumstances right now or feeling those emotions right now of what I expected. And sometimes that's part of the process of walking with God. But the word of the Lord came to him while he was in this place. And God said, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. I love how God just brings us back to who he is. It changes everything when we get our mind off of our lives and our problems. And we see that there is one who is bigger. There is one who is more powerful. There is one who formed the world by the word of his mouth. And all at once it's like, okay, maybe this isn't so overwhelming as I was feeling like it was a moment ago. That's, that's how God comes to us. That's what he says to us. And then he says this in verse 3. 
just want to really hit on this verse this morning. God says, call to me, and I will answer you. Call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's what God's saying this morning. Call to me. Call out to me. I will answer you. And I'm going to tell you some great things and some hidden things that you have not known. How do we, how do, we do this? What does it mean to pray with confidence? I want to look at just three aspects today of, of confident prayer. The first one is, is our position. How do you pray confidently? Well, it's all about the position that we have. And I don't mean that like, you get down on your knees and bow or fold your hands a certain way, like, okay, proper praying position. No, but to pray, it's about knowing that we can come close to God into a position of proximity. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he paid on the cross. That he has made a way for us, because we often feel so far away from God. And that, that feeling, that thought process, keeps us from approaching God. But God wants us to know, I'm inviting you to come into my very presence. In Ephesians 3, verses 12 and 14, Paul writes, and he says, In him, in Jesus Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Through Jesus, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, Jeremy, God's told Jeremiah, call out to me, I'm, calling, I'm inviting you. Come, call out to me, draw near, approach me with freedom and confidence. And then Paul goes on and writes, for this reason, because we can come near with freedom and confidence, I bow my knees before the Father. When we realize that Jesus has, through his life, death, and resurrection, taken our sins away, if we turn from them and trust in him and brought us near into his very courts, his very throne room, then that changes things. But oftentimes, we have that available to us, but we don't make it available. We don't take, uh, take uh, advantage of what's available to us. This morning, I ran over to our office, which is at the Wildcat Ministries building where we're having our vision meeting. And one of my one of my weaknesses, I have many, but one that annoys my family the most is that I lose keys. And last August, I lost my set of keys, and they were gone for like eight months. And then John Griffith found him a couple weeks ago in our church truck, like underneath the seat. And he was like, oh, great, I can finally like have a keyless remote, and I can get in my car again, and Reagan won't be mad at me as much because we're always transferring keys around because they're like $100 to replace these, these stupid computer keys. So I had them. And then guess what? A week ago, I lost them again. <laughs> and I still haven't found them. And so I've been going to our office, and we have a hidden key at our office. And so ever since I re-lost my keys, I've been going to the place where the key is hidden, and there's this whole process of like, oh, I can't get in the office. I lost my keys. So I, I go to this, this place where it's hidden. I open a door. I get it. I go up to the office. Then I open the door and go in. And so this morning, I had several things I had to do for a vision meeting and for church. I show up at the office. I go to the place where the hidden key is. And there's no hidden key. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so... Fortunately, I called Will Coy, one of, our, one of the guys who has a key, and he lives like three doors down. 
He's like, yeah, I'm home. I've got a key. So I went over there, got a key, went back. And so there's this whole process of like getting his key. It's even more complicated than it is now, than it was before. And then, so I go in, and on my way up the stairs to my office, it hits me. Wait a minute. I have my own spare set of keys, and it's got a key to our office on it. <laughs> and I've been carrying this around for the last week, after using it for the last eight months, mind you. But I forgot that I had it in my pocket. And I was taking all these other steps, day after day after day, feeling like, oh my goodness, the, the access to that office is so complicated and difficult. But I had it in my pocket the whole time. And that's how it is with approaching God. Like so often we feel like, oh man, I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know if I've, this has been a good enough week. I had this happen. I feel crummy. So we feel like there's this whole complicated set of religious steps that we have to take before we could finally be at a place of coming before God. And he says, no, you've got the key. It's what I did for you on the cross. I took away your sins. All you got to do is just grab that key. It's, it's with you all the time. You just turn away from your sins. Trust in me. Re- receive the forgiveness that I have for you. That's what makes you right with me. Nothing else. So just come to me with freedom and confidence. So that's confident prayer. Start with that place of knowing our position that we have with God through what he has done for us. It's funny. I was last night, I was like, I need a story. I had another story, but it involved someone else, and I needed their permission, and I had to email them. I didn't get it. I was like, I need another story. And this morning, I was like, oh, there's the story. Praise God, I lost my keys. All right. That's good. Thank you, Lord. See, that's why I lost my keys, Reagan. It's, God's using it. So position. Second thing for confident prayer is our posture. And that's even more, like posture. Does that mean, how do I kneel? What do I do? But no, when... God invited Jeremiah to come to him. What's the posture that he invites him to take? I want to look back at that verse a little more closely. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. God says, Call to me, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, it's really important that when we come to God... There's a confidence, but also, also a humility. And God says, call to me, I'll answer you, but I'm going to tell you some great and hidden things that you don't know. It's really interesting, that word hidden, sometimes it's translated, uh, it's, uh, what is it translated as? Fenced in, or mighty. It's like, I was looking at that, why is it translated so differently in all these different translations? Well, the word literally, it means, like, it's, it's the description of a, a it was a, a fortress. It means, like, fortress. It was like strong walls around a city that would keep you from entering in or keep you from being able to, to get in easily. Things that would be unknown, because there's this, this whole city wall between you and it, and you don't know what's back there. It's concealed. It's hidden. It's fenced in. You're like, well, why is God saying that? Like, why is he wanting to hide stuff from us? But God, there are things that are hidden from us. And a lot of times when we come to pray, I know I do this, I assume that I know what's best. I'm like, God, just do this for me. Just 
help me find my keys. That's what I need. And that may be what I need, but there may be something deeper that God wants to do in this situation. You know, God, if you look at the story of Jeremiah, it's, it's, he is crying out to God, God, would you be merciful? Would you help us not have your judgment come upon your people? And the next verses in this chapter are God saying, you know what? There is going to be judgment coming. There is going to be discipline coming. There have to be consequences for the, the decades of sin that have gone on with my people. So there are a few verses of that. But then it goes on, it says, but I will restore them. And you've got like 40 verses then of God talking about, I am going to then come back and restore them and return them to the land and change their hearts. And not only that, but I'm going to send a Messiah. And he's going to sit on my throne forever. And I'll have priests. And he's really speaking about what he's going to do in the new covenant with, with us. That there will be people that are going to have God's law written on their heart and minister to God directly like we're talking about with open access to him. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. And to get to that place, I have to bring my people into, into consequences and captivity. But it's interesting, the people of Israel, after hundreds of years of unfaithfulness to God, after this, these consequences and this captivity, they never again turned to idols like they had before. There was something God did in transforming them on the inside that they had to go through those consequences to experience. It was because God had something so much better. And there's a posture of of prayer, of of not just saying, God, give me this, give me that, give me that, I want this, do this, but of coming to God saying, God, what's your will? I want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. What do you want to do in this situation? And, man, I, I have experienced that in my life where so often that's, it's tough because I want the, the solution that seems like it solves the immediate problem. But oftentimes God says, you know, I care about you, but there's a deeper thing. I care about you enough to change your character. And I want to walk you through something that's going to bring my kingdom into your life. And there's something greater that I want to do. And so the promise in that is God says, I will show you hidden things. I want to show you my will. I want to show you what I have for you that's beyond maybe that shallow level of thinking. But you've got to come to me and have a posture of wanting that, of looking to that. And then it's amazing what God does. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, we read, This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So it's important that we know what his will is. And that's where it's this this coming to God in a posture of humility, saying, God, what do you want to do? What's maybe the deeper thing that you want to do in this situation? Or maybe studying the Bible. God, what does your word say? What What are your promises? What's your heart? What's your will in this situation? And then as we have a confidence of what his will is, we know that he hears us. And it says, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the result, the request, that we have asked of him. So there's a posture of saying, God, what is your will? What do you want to do? And then, then we can pray with confidence, knowing that he'll bring that about. This is kind of a little side note, but a lot of the people in this room, there are different gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives us. And there's one gift called praying in the Spirit. Or, and it's this weird, kind of weird gift where God gives you the ability through his Holy Spirit to pray with words that your mind doesn't 
understand, but it's in a different language. And the Bible says whenever you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the perfect will of God. Because it's God's Spirit praying the exact words that He chooses. And it's a gift that God gives us where once we have that gift, we can, we can pray at any time. When we, it says that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I just kind of, this is like a little, like, uh, what's the word? Like, encouragement. It's like, this is a good gift to ask God for. Because I, I am so thankful God gave me that gift. Because I usually don't know what to pray. I don't know what God's will is. But ever since God gave me that gift of praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, it's amazing to say, okay, God, I'm just going to pray. Whatever you want to happen, let your will be prayed into existence. And it's amazing how even my mentality changes, and I start to get an understanding of what God, God's will is through, through praying in the Spirit. So, posture of seeking God's will, praying His will into existence. And then the last part of this we're going to talk about today. So there's our position, our posture, and then persistence. Persistence. Isn't that a great word? <laughs> Sticking with something when it's not happening right away. That doesn't come naturally to me, necessarily. In, in Luke 11, 9 and 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is right after he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's kind of like different levels of intensity in this instructions. Ask, that's, that's easy. Hey, I'm asking a question. I'm asking for it. Seek, that's a little more intense. Like looking for something a little harder. And then knock, it's like, man, I, I really, I'm, I'm sticking with this. I, I really am looking for an answer. He says, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Sometimes there are things that God wants to do in our life, but it's going to take a greater level of, of, of fervor, a greater level of intensity, a greater level of a greater time duration of continuing to ask God faithfully over time to see it come into existence. Now, not always. A lot of times, God, you may pray for something. Sometimes I've seen people get prayed for a physical healing and seeing a miraculous thing happen right there. But I've also seen many times where it's taken more time. It's taken a persistence. And there's an incredible example of this in, in the book of Daniel. Daniel actually lived a little bit after Jeremiah. So Jeremiah had told, was prophesying to the people of Israel, saying, hey, you're going to go into captivity, captivity because of your disobedience. Daniel was one of the young men who was taken into captivity to Babylon, um, modern-day Iraq. And then he became an official in the, kingdom of, the kingdoms that were first Babylon and then ultimately Persia. And, but he was a man of God. He prayed consistently, morning, noon, and night. He had this pattern of persistently seeking God in prayer. And it says in the Bible that he would pray out his window facing Jerusalem. He was praying for the restoration of God's people to go back to the promised land that God had for them. And in Daniel chapter 9, it's a really interesting story here. It says, in the first year of, of Darius, the son of, the son of Ahasuerus, the hun of, that's, that's interesting, no, the Huns were different people. By descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, and this would be the books of prophecy, the, the books of God's word that had been given to the people, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. 
So Daniel's in this place of captivity, and he's reading the prophecies, and he sees, oh, Jeremiah said it would be 70 years of captivity. And he does the math, and he realizes, we're getting really close to the end of 70 years. That's, that's exciting stuff. We must be getting close. Now, my tendency would be to just like go tell all my friends and party and like, hey, it's going to happen. This is great. But Daniel's response is really interesting. In verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There's very fervent prayer here going on. I prayed to the Lord my God. Why did Daniel pray? It's like God had already said it was going to happen. But Daniel understood, like John Wesley understood, that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And he has his purpose, but it takes believing people who are laying claim to that in prayer to see it come into existence and come into reality. It says Daniel set his face. There was a focus about that. I'm going to, I'm going to fast. I'm going to... I'm going to humble myself and cry out to God and say, God, would you do this? Will you bring this about? Because there's a part that God gives us to play in bringing his will about in the world. And, man, that was, that was an important part. This book of Daniel is amazing. You see some, there, there are glimpses of the unseen realm. There's one other place where Daniel was praying. And actually, an angel of God, Michael, came to Daniel and Daniel had been fasting and praying for, I think it was 21 days, kind of like our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And he said, I, was, I started coming to you the moment you started praying, but there was spiritual warfare going on. And the powers of this area were wrestling with me, and it took 21 days, but your prayers helped bring this about. And there's something that happens, and there's spiritual warfare going on in, in the world. And our prayer, our persistent prayer, has a part to bring, to, to bring that about. I've heard it described as like chopping wood. Sometimes we're like, man, I need to cut this piece of wood. Man, I, I believe you know, God wants to do this. And we take a swing of the axe on that wood. And we're like, oh, it didn't cut in two. Man, I thought God answered prayer. <laughs> How come God didn't answer that prayer? Man, man, I'm, he, he, that's not true. I have, people have been telling me something that's not true. But no, it's like every prayer is like another dent in that piece of wood. You just, it's the chopping, chopping, chopping. Sometimes you don't see the results, but it's everyone helps further it closer until it, until it breaks in two. And there's something about that. I, just, I read this book this last week that I had on my shelf for years. I never read it. But it's this, um, this, he was a, he was a lead, this guy named Derek Prince, who was a Christian leader back in the 60s and 70s. And he wrote a book called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And he had this, uh, this picture. Go ahead and show us that picture, Savannah. This triangle represents God's will. You can pray for anything. If it's not inside that triangle, your prayers aren't going to be effective. Like, like John said, if we ask for anything according to his will, it shall be done. But in that triangle, we can have confidence that as we pray, our prayers will be answered. But Jesus, at one point, he was facing a difficult circumstance, difficult situation. His disciples hadn't been able to cast a demon out of a little boy. And then Jesus came and cast it out. And they asked him, why couldn't we do this, Lord? 
we've cast out other demons and we did other miracles. And Jesus said, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. There was a greater level of difficulty here that was going to take a greater level of persistence, greater level of fervor to see a breakthrough happen. And Derek Prince, his little triangle here shows the top triangle shows the parts of God's will that only are accomplished through prayer and fasting. There are some things that are God's will, but it's going to take people agreeing and pressing into God with a greater degree of of hunger and desire and persistence to see that happen. And so that's an encouragement to us to, to go after things that God has promised us, but to know, man, it may not happen overnight, but there's a persistence that will bring that into reality. All right, so what do we do with this? I just want to give, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to have a chance here in a minute for us to pray personally for the things that are going on in our lives that we, want, we would want to see God bring an answer to, we would want to see a breakthrough with. Um, we have a chance to do it either, either by yourself or, or with someone else. But I want to give a couple other ways to put this into practice moving forward. Uh, first thing, I would, man, if we all did this, I think Manhattan would be changed. If we did this, daily approach God with confidence in Christ for the next two weeks. And I'm, I'm committed to doing this in a, in a way. To giving in a way that I haven't been doing it. To coming before God and saying, I'm not going to give any room to condemnation, I'm not, I'm not going to give any room to thinking that God's not listening, or God's not hearing. I'm not going to give any room to trusting in myself. I'm going to every day come before God with my confidence in Jesus and what he did for my sins on the cross. And knowing that, yes, I'm turning from my sins and I'm trusting in you and I'm standing in confidence before you. How's that sound? How about doing that for, t- for 14 days? And then maybe just keeping it going after that. All right, here's another thing you can do. Another way to put this into practice. Join in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of us are already doing this. If you haven't, this would be a great chance to say, I'm going to pick a day or one day a week and maybe fast from technology or fast from food and pray for the things that we're believing for God to do. There's a list of things to pray for that we're believing for God together on the resources table over there. Um, Man, I'm I'm going to have some persistent prayer going on, and trusting God to be like swinging that axe, like bringing his will more fully into the world. Another thing, or, and or, join us for Sunday morning Bluemont prayer. We, every, we don't all know about this, but every Sunday at 9.15, we have a group of people praying in the kids' face room over there for like 15, 20 minutes, and it's a great way to even get more comfortable praying and just agree together with other people for, for God to do powerful things. And then, third way to put this into practice is start a prayer list. I've got a list on my phone of things that I'm praying for consistently and people I'm praying for consistently. And I don't pray through that every day, but most days I'm looking at that and praying through that. And it's, it's been cool over doing this for a few years, seeing God answer some of those prayers. There are things like, man, I want to see Bluemont grow to 50 members and 100 people on a Sunday. You know what? We've reached those, we've passed those marks this past year. It's really cool, and it's cool seeing, man, prayer is part of the process, seeing that happen. We're believing for, 
10 community groups in Manhattan and then 100 community groups in Manhattan, or things like that. We're seeing progress happening towards what God is doing in reaching the city. I'm, I'm praying for things like, probably the biggest thing on this is I'm praying for there to be no more abortion in Kansas. I'm praying that God would change the hearts and the minds of the state in such a way that that would no more be a thing that that happens. And, man, there's a long way to go. That's a big old piece of wood. That's a big old tree. But, so pray with me. But it's good to you know, have some, a prayer list where you're saying, God, man, I'm believing you. I'm persistently coming before you and asking you to do these things. Day by day, seeing, seeing that progress happen. So, all right. Let's, let's practice. Let's, let's approach. I want to give us a chance to, to pray personally, though, in our own lives. So Sharon's going to come on up and play a little music for us. And I'm going to take like four or five minutes here. And I want to invite you to approach God this morning confidently. And bringing before him something in your life. That you have a need, you have a burden, you have a desire, you have a promise. Something where either you know what God wants to do or you need to know what God's will is in this situation. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, I would really like someone to stand with me, too, in this. Um, I want to give you a chance for that, too. If you'd want to just stand up and go to the back corner by the windows and share whatever your need is with someone else, then well, so, someone will be there and stand with you as well. So either you can go there or you can, you can sit in your seat. But let's come before God right now and just bring whatever we have. We come before you this morning. Thank you that you've made a way for us to be near. Thank you that you care. God, we just come before you to bring the needs, the desires, the promises. But I pray even as we come before you that you would bring a greater clarity of what your will is and a greater confidence in your power to come through and change things. God, will you speak to us right now? Would you bring hope and encouragement? Just take a couple minutes in your own way, coming before God.
God, I thank you that you are hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you that you delight to show your glory, to show your kindness, to show your goodness in intervening in our lives, in empowering us, in bringing us through and into the greater things you have for us and shaping our character and making us more like you. Lord, thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross that allows us to approach you with confidence and freedom. Lord, would you continue, by your spirit, would you continue to prompt us and just lead us in a relational way into a conversational prayer life with you. That's the kind, of, the kind of communion you made us for with you. Lord, we thank you for the answered prayers we've seen, and we thank you for the just thousands and thousands of ways you're, you're going to use us to bring your kingdom into the world through our prayer. And we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Rachel's going to bring us on home.